0: Let's let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We could spend many days before you, thanking you for all the things you do for us. We'd ask that you would open our hearts to your word with thanksgiving this morning. In your son's name, amen. We're in Philippians in a passage I was in just a year ago, a little over a year ago, doing something different with it then. Uh, I know I didn't disagree with myself a year ago uh, because I've held this view about Philippians 2 for a long time. But I was in a conversation with a friend um, that uh, something struck me as I spoke to him about, he was expressing how much he enjoyed you guys. Doesn't go to this church, okay? He said, I have a better relationship with the all-souls Christians than I do have with my own church. And so we ended up talking about it, and try to do things or suggest things that might help him in his own church situation. Because he doesn't agree with you on any number of things. I said, that's the reason. You know that these people love you in their disagreement with you, and that's why they enjoy being together with you if they disagree with you. Well, whether or not you think that was accurate... It started my thinking till I found myself stepping into the tub this morning, half awake, and it struck me. So I wanted to look at Philippians 2, because Christians are embarrassed, and ought to be, about the condition of the church, broadly, historically, internationally, because they do not get along. and we want to know how to fix it, because we know we should. We know we're always excusing, well, we shouldn't have these denominations, and the other groups go, hey, how come you have so, so many different denominations? So I wanted to look at this, because that's the disagreement. Evan was just saying it was the disagreement that made the relationship and the fellowship good which actually the attitude you have towards disagreement Philippians 2:1 So if there is any encouragement in Christ any incentive of love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind that sounds like it already disagreed with heaven within one short two short verses but I as I went through it I noticed some things Paul's going if you have anything of this affection any kind of love any kind of participation in the spirit any affection any kind of desire to have the unity of Christ you need to have complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. I think when he says having the same love, he's pointing back to what he just covered in verse 1. If you have any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, that's the love you have. You have this situation called Christianity, the church, the believers, the saints. He says having the love, then he says be being of the same mind being in a full accord and of one mind and that just seems like writing you basically the blank check of would you like to have 2000 years of church uh, calamity it's this, this insistence of being of one mind because what happens you know you're going to have to agree with me right this is all souls Christian. Everyone here agrees with Evan. You better, or you're out. And those other churches that don't agree with Evan, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. We're gonna have to start a war. We're gonna start a, 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 a war. Well, we're not a war yet. It's not big enough for a war. We would lose the war. Um, We're going to have to start slicking up our presentation of all souls Christian doctrine. You're saying to yourself, I didn't know there was all souls Christian doctrine. You're right. But we know the problem seems to be that verse when we are being told, complete my joy, says the apostles, by being of one mind, in full accord and one mind, period. If we've got any love, and that's where the tension happens, right? Any love at all. Yeah, we're all Christians. Yeah, they're Baptists. Yes, they're Methodists. Yes, they're this, that, and the other thing. But, we know we've got that but can't put you in the same room together. You know it's gotten ugly. And no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Because it's It's implausible that we we would actually torture people, right? You don't even want to think about whether in this town, in this century, Christians would torture other Christians, and I'm willing to tell you, yes, they would. They just lack opportunity, because they see how important it is to be of one mind full accord, one mind. And I'm sorry, but the heavier guys that we are going to hire to escort you into better doctrine will visit with you in the basement with a sack filled with oranges until you realize the truth of Evan's doctrine. And believe me, people repented of their errors. They said they were sorry. Sometimes you just had to burn them anyway. We know this is, embar- but it seems to be impossible once I say, be of one mind. Understandable. This is inside the church. It's bad enough that the liberals or the secularists or whoever they are out there in the world think they can have, you know, a global mind where everyone understands one another and we coexist We say yes that's a little Pollyanna-ish but at least in the church because it's encouragement in Christ it's participation in the spirit. So we just got told that all the things that embarrassed us are just being caused by this verse. Um, And and we set out on it by assuming that we should form our groups by agreement on the things that we're trying to reach agreement on. Because you've got to begin someplace, and so you find a Bible study group, you start a Bible study group, and you, you move it into um, um, a larger Bible study group and then a small church, a home church perhaps but everybody first off is agreeable in that situation they hold the same eschatology they have the same soteriology they say, hold the same theology they hold the same, you know, whatever book of church order and you want to get bigger and bigger and bigger so you can finally start making those demands on other people we're hoping they will surrender at some point and join us because yes, we want to be obedient to Christ and we're just waiting for the rest of the churches in Moscow to realize that we better go to All Souls Christian or at least at least be plants of All Souls Christian um, we do this in part, I just want to cast some suspicion on our motivations um, you really like being you I, I don't know if you knew that um, and you might have some insecurities about yourself, but you really like being you and you'd like to have the way you would like things done, done, not just by your own limbs, have you ever, I, I went on a diet once where I ate only 1500 calories a day. I got the shakes, it was so bad my, my body started eating itself. And I was doing graphics, this is back in the stone age where you actually to draw the stuff, and. Uh, and I couldn't make my rapidographs pen go that direction. If I wanted to go that direction, it wouldn't go. It would go, uh, because my body was just eating itself. We know that anybody who has struggled you're know, just praying for Allie on the MS because there are pains in their extremities about uh, mobility. Some of you have had those sorts of, well, getting my dad around the house, it's, It's the basic advancement of your will into your movements. You want to command what you naturally have control over without pain. You want to do it at peace. You want to be able to move down the stairs to the basement and put the laundry in and and get it done. So, why is he talking about this? Well, it's the nature of yourself. You want to have the world around you obey you. That's simple. Do what you need it to do. And ideally, it would just be an extension of you with no other wills involved. But if there are other wills involved, like children, wives, what else? Children, wives, employees, citizens, we want them to agree with us because if I can't just decide what they're going to do, I need them to have the same kind of mind I have so they'll decide what I want them to do. We still kind of want ourselves in charge of everything we like agreement because it suggests a good to your pride of life yes I can't expect that whatever I would think um, they would do but boy I'm really working towards singleness of mind so that we all end up doing what I what Evan wants to have happen But that's not how the scriptures deal with it. We got to the end of verse 2. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfishness or conceit. I want you to first off to find, you were told, there's any incentive of love, any affection or sympathy. say, okay, what's that mean? Well, what is, what is love? Love is patient. And love is kind. So you got that, you got that in your hip pocket, you know, if there's any of that patience and kindness is the ground that Paul wants completed in this one mindedness then he says do nothing from selfishness or conceit but in humility count others better than yourselves it would seem to suggest having just told you to have one mind among you and he doesn't say have an X view of eschatology have this view of the nature of the gospel or the mechanism of the gospel. He says, have, the, have one mind, full accord, one mind, don't be selfish, don't be conceited. But in humility, count others better than yourself. But you know, when I was on the when I was told to be, become of one mind, my default position is my mind was the correct one. But what Christ wants you to do, what Paul wants you to do, is to count others as better than you, right? In humility, count others better than yourself. Well, if this were about positions you held, theological positions you held, you're going to need to think you're right, and you're going to need to push that on people. You're going to need to have your view be better than other people's view. This humility that is being suggested, this it seems like this is the mindset he wants you to have. Have one mind, full accord. What is the full accord of mindfulness that he wants? Not selfish, not conceited, but humbly counting others as better than you. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, when we're on that freight train of my opinion is better than yours and you need to be convinced by me, that doesn't seem to suggest that I can be vested in your interests and mine at the same time. Because I'm trying to answer the scripture and get you to agree with me. So we have the same interests. The church is filled with disparate interests. one of the reasons, it's not just because we're lazy and it's not because we don't know what we believe but when I say what we believe I want you to be aware that what I believe and what we believe are different this church doesn't represent the theology of the pastor I'd be happy to have people from a different theology preach here not a problem. I know that in the congregation I have a variety of different theologies that we never checked you at the door, we never asked you the right questions, we didn't. And some people came here because they knew that was the case, they knew I disagreed with them, but they knew that the welcome they received that we were trying not to just look to the interests of the pastor but also to the interests of the congregant not only when he became loyal to the pastor's theology. For some reason, it says David and Goliath right in the middle of those notes. I know why. Right there in that second paragraph down, it's not, they are not me, but they agree with me. David and Goliath that makes no sense at all, was because Graham came in and needed a printout of David and Goliath things to color for the kids and I typed it in on the wrong computer and so it went into the notes and I forgot to go looking for them. These are things that happen. Um, So I want you to be thinking that when Paul suggests do nothing from selfishness or conceit, it almost immediately takes the person who is going to say, you know, we need to become one mind in Christ, be in full accord, I know, let's all take my view. It's going to be selfish, it's going to be conceited, it's not going to be looking to somebody else's interests and also to your own. It's not going to consider the other person's better than you. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. So if I take the notion of becoming of one mind and say this is why Christians have to have big councils and debates and all the rest and books and proving each other wrong and knife fights in dark places they didn't read the next verse because the next verse corrects that not only does it correct that he tells you in verse five in bold type have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus oh he's not talking about your theology your Christian philosophy your beliefs about whatever it is he's actually talking about the the mind you take on how you comport yourself Your philosophy of the Christian faith, of your life together, is humility. Have this mind. He said, I want you to be of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he looks how he describes it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That is the mind you should have. That's what he just told you. Have this mind, it's yours in Christ Jesus, who... Now, I like ideas. I really like my own ideas. I think your ideas are probably wrong, and I really like my ideas. I sit in my library at home with little yellow pads scribbling my ideas, Um, and then I read them back to myself, really impressed, really impressed, I mean they're sweet, great ideas. That's what I do for a living, getting in the tub, eating my pop tart, whatever it is, I'm thinking about ideas. And I don't think, like intentionally, the wrong ones. I'm not saying to myself, "How, you know, I've got to play fair, I've got to be humble amongst the, the hoi polloi, the great unwashed. I, I think I'll have a few wrong ideas. No, I kind of feel the need to be right about everything. But I've never been as right as our Lord Jesus Christ. Never. Never been as right as God himself. That's one of the big temptations about this agreement, you know, thing. Not only are we moved by our desire to extend ourself and our way of doing things, have people submit to our will, but we are naturally, we don't believe we're wrong about something. And it seems almost impossible when I'm faced... Ladies, have you ever had this problem in your marriages where it says... Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. But he's wrong. Oh, I didn't know that. Unless he's wrong, of course it says in the passage. doesn't actually say that. This is something we are missing. Children are missing it with parents. Wives are missing it with husbands. Citizens are missing it with their country, with their civil governments. We are missing it in our walk together as Christians. We are missing the ability, the lesson of how it is to be humble when you are absolutely right. You are so right, you are God. Right? Because the one guy who was God, who does it, did not count that equality as thing to be grasped at. But what are you doing? You know, you've you've scribbled on enough yellow pads about your ideas You're so pleased. Here's like Evan. You're so pleased with how right you are that of course they have to agree with me. Wouldn't that make everything work better? Christ said, no, and I'm doing it this way, and you should do it this way too. If I, as God, could not grasp at my deity, but empty myself, take the form of a servant. Now, You have to remember some things about humility. It does not mean you think the other person correct. Jesus did not come to earth and go, well, I guess I'm here to be humble. Okay, you Pharisees, you guys are are doing it all right. Or, no, I'm not God. The truth and falsehood of things is not being questioned here. It's the grasping at the insistence that even if you were right completely, truly in an objective, cosmological, transcendent way, you were right. Just like Jesus. You don't grasp at it. You don't insist on it. Truth insists on itself. I posted that online at one point. Truth doesn't have a debt to you. You have a debt to the truth. You have to believe it. But, you don't have to believe Evan. No matter how much Evan wants you to. Really, come on folks. Please. Believe me. We're supposed to believe Jesus Christ. We're supposed to say, if there's anything in you that's Christian at all, any kind of affection that would make you want to get along better with the rest of the saints—not just the ones at All Souls, but the ones in the other churches in town. If you don't have love and you don't have humility, Katie barred the door. Now if you would continue to insist on your way of thinking. So, well, don't we insist on some things? Well, yeah, we we decide what the task is, right? When I decide that I am a Christian, I believe Christian things. When I decide that, uh, this is the arena inside which we're trying to find oneness of mind, the oneness of mind described by our Lord. Uh, That's different than all of humanity. If I marry a particular person, I have decided what the relationship, I know what God says about husbands love your wives and what He says of women that they obey their husbands and everything. I have to know what arena I'm in. So yeah, there's going to be some agreement. Some people want to turn every doctrine, if you don't believe this about the end of the world, you're probably not a christian people accusing people of heresy left and right but we know we have to we have to have a grasp a studied grasp of what your humility is it's not admitting you're wrong you can still be right you don't have to agree with the other person and here's the rub though You don't have to agree with them. You say, thank you. And they don't have to agree with you. They don't have to. Now, at that point, as soon as you realize, yes, I can still keep my right ideas, I don't have to agree with them. I even consider this true with a wife and a husband. Just because she's supposed to submit to her husband does not mean that she has to agree with him about it. She can't be disagreeable. She must be rejoicing. She must be obedient. Doesn't have to agree. If he says, honey, I would like you not only to um, make that turkey sandwich. It's always pronounced sandwich. Make that turkey sandwich. I want you to believe that turkey sandwiches are the best sandwiches ever. Are you out of your mind? Whether or not they are. I'll make you that sandwich. It'll be the best turkey sandwich you ever had. But to believe something, you still get the right to hold your mind the way your mind is. You're a child of parents. All of us have been at one point. You can be told what to do by your father or your mother, and you can do it obediently, but they can't tell you to think a certain thing and call on your submission to make you do it so we know we get to keep the truth Jesus Christ kept the truth of what was true about him I am God I am your master and Lord I made the universe no you're not right this is why you were wrong but when we get to and they don't have to agree with you because even with Christ you'd think they have to agree with him he actually is right But he didn't have that mindset. He came as a servant. Gave up everything. Did not grasp at it. You can tell when people in a discussion about biblical things, not just with evidence of whether they don't have a good or bad argument, but they differ. And that Quality of righteousness goes away. It doesn't increase the joy of the fellowship. It decreases the joy of the fellowship because they think that something wrong, sinful. But you ever thought that about someone disagreeing with you? That it was sinful for them to disagree with you? you wanted to label it as immoral. That's where we get tested. The person may be immoral. The person may be wrong. You may be right. Do you grasp at being right? Because selfishness and conceit, not counting them as better than you, not looking to their interests also to your own, you're only looking to your own. You are not Christ-like in your mind and most theological persuasions are not because they are not as right as Jesus Christ and they won't let it go. He did not count absolute rightness, absolute power, absolute greatness as a something to be grasped. He emptied. You've got to have a meaning for the word. What does grasping mean? What does emptying mean? He took the form of a servant humbled himself and became obedient unto death even death on a cross he was willing to take it in an embarrassing fashion he knew what he was about he was dying for your sins but didn't make it any less embarrassing now I thought as I was going through this passage I thought of Romans 14 which is the next passage here because it brought something up was echoing the same thing in our lives as for the man who is weak in the faith welcome him but not for disputes over opinions it admits he's wrong right Paul says as for the guy who comes to your church and who is wrong as it gets say he's got skinny jeans on what else is wrong Starbucks. Man bun. Or maybe he's just dressed like a homeschooler. Some of you, I hear, are homeschooled. Whatever the thing, whatever the weakness is, he's not like you, doesn't think like you, holds the wrong opinions about all sorts of things, and say... He voted for a Democrat. We've had people in this church who have voted Democrat. Dear believers, wonderful part of the body, saying to yourself, who was it? (laughs) Who is it? Welcome them, but not for disputes over opinions. It seems like the grasping mind You say, no, 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 they've got to sign a piece of paper that says they agree with us about these opinions. That's actually what happens when you ask someone to join your church, right? You have got to sign that you are loyal to these opinions. And the text says, even if you assume the guy's wrong coming in, you don't let your insistence on his opinions keep you from welcoming him. And he gives some examples. One believes he may eat anything while the weak man eats only vegetables. Which I like that verse. Because I believe I can eat anything. As I was telling somebody the other day, I, I don't know what an adverb is, I don't know what an adjective is, and I don't know what carbs are. Everybody's talking about carbs. They're talking to me like I know. I just, I just glaze over. I don't care. Because I can eat anything. Now I'm fat. But I can eat anything. Because I don't care. But the weaker man eats only vegetables. Just saying. I'm trying to find a meat Pop-Tart. But they don't make meat Pop-Tarts. Hot pockets, I guess. Let him not eat. Let him. uh, Let not him who eats despise him who abstains. Let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats for God has welcomed him now it's telling us that the humility has it can work unilaterally but it doesn't work best until it is mutual okay because what happens when you're humble Say you're the one walking into a church haven't been there before looking around you know you differ with them because you saw the sign out front they welcome you make you feel at home and you don't bring up any of the distinctives that you would know you disagree with them on, and you just keep your mouth shut, and you welcome the brother from your vantage point by not creating a problem, keeping quiet. But it can work, you can actually have a discussion if both of you are humble. Which doesn't mean that you don't have the views, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with the other person, that's not humility. At subservience. At servileness. It's not humility. Humility can still be right. We know that the church is enjoined to have the kind of humility that holds its own opinions but does not grasp at its own pride of life that you must be convinced by my view. If I don't want to be if I, if I don't feel, any, he's heard me say this before, we're not here to convince one another, we're here to be understood by one another. Because you're allowed to keep the view, you're allowed to talk about it, you're allowed to be humble with each other, which means you're not demanding that they agree with you, but you want them to understand you. And if you're right, them humbly understanding you, They might be convinced. God bless them. Nothing wrong with being convinced. It's good for us to agree with the truth. But we're not feeling that that is our task in life. Verse 4 of Romans 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It just doesn't seem that Jesus really likes what we've been doing for 2,000 years. Where that's, well. that's what we do, pass judgment on the servant of another. Like, like they were our church's claim. Like our church and its doctrine, if it had doctrine, its claims, other people were supposed to believe, whether it's the Roman Catholic Church, whether it's the Southern Baptist Church, whatever it is. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the master is able to make him stand. That threw an aspect into this that says not only do I not grasp at the correct position I hold, not only do I interested in what they are about, not only what I'm interested about in about, but the way this works out, it works out by blessing. and and beatifying the person that God is able to make you stand say I'm looking out at the congregation and there's one or two of you that hold certain notions you are the Lord's servant you're not my servant you're the Lord's servant you're not all souls servants and your Lord is able right to have you stand now, it's also true that if you're really wrong, you are also able to fall, stand or fall. But your master is able to make you stand. And the question is, however right or wrong you are, are you able to stand by the grace of God in the righteousness you are supposed to have? That's the, the, basically the, the end result is, since I cannot be sure till I die what was the right position... And I watched the, the guy who was the most sure of his position and was right still giving up his position. I know this, this life is going to be filled with us disagreeing. The question is, how do I do it? How do I, how do I have one mind about disagreeing? It almost sounds like a, what's it called, a, an oxymoron being of one mind about disagreeing. We need to hold the right things above it. That somehow there is a way that I don't rest in my pride of life about what I think. Somehow I realize that the good that God is trying to bring about by ideas are rooted in him and his grace to the person. I am looking at whether or not they stand for you whatever view you hold, you need to hold yourself to this, that you love, that you are not selfish or conceited, so you've humbled yourself, you do not insist on your ideas, and you know that your standing, your faithfulness to what Christianity is about, the tranquility of your soul, your rightness as God, your holiness, whatever you want to describe it as, whatever word it is, that you have succeeded, that people understand you, and they think your life is marvelous. If they understand you and think your life is marvelous, you're halfway there about convincing them about anything, but again, you're there because you don't insist on convincing them. He gives a few examples. One man esteeming one day better than another. He's gotten to vegetables, meat, Sabbath observance. But he says in verse 8, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's where the judgment exists. You are not God. Your anger, your judgments, your party spirit are all about you insisting that you are the judge. The judge is at the last day. You will have to provide an explanation of why you persisted in thinking what you thought. And why you persisted in thinking what you thought while your life crumbled around you and your you know, poor excuse for a Christian witness. You're going to have to give that explanation. I'm going to have to give that explanation. <laughs> We all have to stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each of us shall have to give an account of himself to God. You will have to explain this. And, not, and it's not like, oh, I explained how bad it was for me and all my friends pitied me and cried with me and, and, and pretended to agree with me because that's, they knew how to make me feel better. You are going to have to explain why you drove it into a wall the way you did. And if you drove it into a wall, why you didn't confess, crying out to God for His forgiveness for driving it into a wall. You're going to have to give an explanation. And what you have lived like, you have lived like because of what you think and the way you think it. Do you love? Are you selfish and conceited? Do you think people should agree with you? Or they must agree with you? How do you function in the church? I know people who can't ever find the perfect church. You know some people like this. They're always, well, I don't know. They sang some hymns. They sang a Bernard of Clairvaux hymn this morning. You know, I'm not a Roman Catholic and nor do I intend to be. But there was that Bernard of Clairvaux hymn. Nice lyrics. I'm suspicious. Someone might never come back. It's this or it's that or whatever it is that has to be in agreement with you. Are you the kind of person that is able to walk in? I I have dear friends. Now you know I'm not reformed, right? It's rumored that I'm not reformed. Um, Some of my best friends that come over to my house all the time are. And we argue about it constantly. Constantly. And it's wonderful. For them, for me, they're great friends. And one of them is a guy who says, I I have better fellowship with people from your church than I do with people I agree with. In some ways, disagreement, the righteousness of disagreement, discovers your holiness. Not saying disagree just on principle, but how you handle disagreement discovers whether or not you're holiness. If you cannot, shut up. If you cannot, join in a mutual humility session where you can talk over the things of God and insist that your idea is true, but still be rejoicing when you hear what their idea is. Knowing that each of you will have to give an account. Your standing, what your life turned out like, all of this matters. This is what completes Paul's joy. Being of this, this kind of mind. Check, check with your own life. Judge yourself truly that you should not be judged. We know that if you figure it out now that I have not been humble about my view. I get to hold my views, apply this all across the board, as wives to husbands, as children to parents, you to your bosses, whatever it is, you've got all sorts of opportunities where we're being called to not become bastards when we become right. And the history of the church it seems like that's all they were been about, is becoming bastards when they became right. Jesus Christ became more gracious, more loving, not selfish, not conceited. I mean, how is it not conceited for a guy to go, you know, I'm God. Eternal. Made everything. How is that not conceited? Because it's true. Jesus Christ could know it was true. No conceit, no arrogance, because he loved There was an incentive of affection and sympathy. There was a a, a substance to his love. The, The spirit that was in him, he wanted this to be. But if you want you to be more than you want this to be, you're going to be problems in the church. We can get together with people who are leftists, socialists, I've heard of socialist Christians, uh, Irish people, French, all sorts. Small congregation, but we we could really learn to love each other. We could really learn to be humili- humble and find ourselves rejoicing so much in how our disagreements proved re- helped us recognize our need and our presence of holiness in this situation. Measure your love. Measure your humility. And measure the life that stems from it. Because your life, which you will have to explain someday, to him. We're not going to get that done here. We're not going to ever get it done in the history of the earth. This is all after after life. And it's not relativism. Because at the last day, though Christ had given up equality with God as a thing to be grasped, I pulled verse 9 off the bottom of the Philippians passage and put it at the end here. Therefore, God, speaking of Christ who had given it all up, and said, yeah, beat me up. Yeah, kill me. Yeah. I'm absolutely right. I'm absolutely the biggest power in the cosmos, and no, you can have your way. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not relativism. It's timing. The truth will out. If you're right, you'll be right in glory too. But he's not asking you to be right like you were in glory now. Be right, understand your views, but understand that you have an obligation to complete Paul's joy by being of this kind of mind that doesn't grasp at being right. It doesn't insist that people agree with you. Or waits for obedience. You know, if a wife is not going to obey her husband because he's not right, like, really not an option. But we think the importance of our right ideas are far more than they are. Jesus Christ calls us Jesus Christ calls us to this. And I wanted to point out just as a final thing. Humility is not inferiority. Okay? It's not equality. We're not going Oh, I'm not greater than you. Christ says, I am your master and lord. And if I washed your feet, how much you should do the same. I am your master and lord. He is God. He is right. You're not subservient. You're not inferior. Humility is not those things. It is a path. It's the way you treat your pride of life. And if you don't recognize what pride of life is, which is you wanting to extend your will because your will is the only thing that's going to provide you with peace. You've got a problem. It's what everybody thinks. But humility is able to say, no, the path is, I am not, this is not the source of my peace. Jesus Christ is. So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for so much. That you've given us, we'd ask that you would lead us into your son's mind. That we would understand how not to grasp itself. Make us right. Help us instruct the ignorant and those that don't understand. But keep us from living for that victory. Thank you for the opportunities we have to disagree with each other and the joy that it can be. Help us learn that holiness. In your son's name, amen.